0: Hey there, this is Steve Lee with Veritas Catholic Network. What is the point of making New Year's resolutions? And what is Bishop Frank's resolution for this year? You'll find out on today's Let Me Be Frank. We'll also talk about St. Stephen, the Holy Innocents, and St. Basil the Great. Maybe for your resolution, you want to listen to more Catholic radio. It's so easy to do and you can have Veritas Catholic Network with you wherever you go. We're in your car, we're on Alexa, on iHeartRadio, on Google Home, and on your phone. Listen to our live broadcast, grab podcasts of Let Me Be Frank and Restless and more. If you download the app, you can get it at the Apple App Store, the Google Play Store, or you can visit www.veritascatholic.com. All right, welcome back to Let Me Be Frank, everybody. It is my pleasure, as always, to introduce Bishop Frank Caggiano. Steve, it's good to be with you. Post-Christmas, we're wrapping up the year, huh? i It's hard to believe we're at the end of 2020.
1: Oh, well, thank God. What a year. <laughs> yeah. Please. <laughs> the faster it ends, I think the better off we all will be.
0: <laughs> and it, it couldn't leave us alone, even until the end. You had a, an event yesterday. Oh, I know. Actually,
1: you, you know, i there were 15 priests who died this year, 2020. Wow. Which is a remarkable number for a diocese that is not as big as we are. And as you mentioned yesterday, um, I, I presided at the funeral mass of uh, Monsignor Walter Orlowski who is 68 years old and died after a very long illness. He was, he was really incapacitated for almost half a year. Um, what a remarkable man. Oh my gosh, it just, of all the priests I've met in my life, and I've met many, he is just on the top of the list in so many different ways a generosity, hospitality, a pastoral heart. Um, he was pastor of St. Matthew's for nearly 26 years wow. in Norwalk and built the parish up, redid the church, built the Great Hall. Now he's building an athletic center. Um, wanted to reach out to the young people of Norwalk Community College. I mean, really, it's, what a tremendous loss. I mean, it's a gain for heaven, please God, but a loss for us. So um, my condolences to his family, to the people of the parish. It's just, um, you know, it, it's, 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 a, it's a very sad way to end
0: a, a very challenged year. Yeah, So 68 mm-hmm. is so young these days, too.
1: Oh, my gosh, <laughs> without a doubt. And yo, know, the other thing about Walter that's really something that's very special is he was the minister of priests. And that's a position that exists in the diocese where a priest who may be having issues, problems, concerns, anxieties, struggling with addiction, could go to another priest, in this case, Monsignor Orlowski, in a totally confidential forum to talk over his problems, to be directed to help to, be able to, to, to be, be able to start healing in a way which is confidential and therefore it hopefully encouraged people to come forward. And, and I remember when, when Monsignor first began the work, he said to me that he was already very busy. It just started. Wow. But that shows you the trust that other priests had in him. So yeah. in addition to everything else, he, he served that critical role so god rest his soul
0: yeah yeah god bless him um uh and today uh december 30th actually um also happens to be my dad's birthday
1: (laughs) oh happy birthday to him
0: 76 years old and you know i just um uh the example that he has set for my brother and me not just as a Surgeon who's great at his work, but just as a lifelong humble servant of the Lord. I mean, the way he has shown love to thousands of people throughout his heroic life. I mean, I have always been and still am uh, undeservingly blessed to be his son.
1: Well, you know, I met your dad. You remember, we sat next to each other at that. I guess it was the inaugural lunch of yes, yes, right. Yes. Yeah. And yeah, I, I I see what you mean. A very impressive man in a conversation. I just was it was I was deeply deeply impressed. And I didn't realize he was in his mid 70s. Your dad looks so much younger.
0: Yeah, he's always been in great shape. He's 76 today. Gosh, he looks better than I do. <laughs> <laughs> so now, we
1: now I'm fighting of uh, the sin of jealousy here. He's 15 <laughs> years older than I am.
0: <laughs> well, uh, we should, we should move on to the show. <laughs> Can we, um, I thought we could start off this week's, uh, show, um, just by giving a quick shout out to, uh, St. Stephen. Uh, oh my who, gosh. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know what? Let's, let's contextualize for everyone. Okay.
1: First of all, we're in the octave of Christmas and the octave is eight days, right? And everyone needs to remember that Christmas is so important a feast, as Easter is, that it is celebrated, the one day is celebrated over eight days. So this is all one day in the church's life. And the feasts that occur within that one day are there in part to help us to understand the mystery of the one day. This is the mystery of the birth of the Lord into creation, right? which is different from the 12 days of Christmas. For the 12 days of Christmas, go from Christmas to Epiphany, January 6th. And most people, you know, since we don't always celebrate Epiphany on January 6th, that can get lost, so we need to remember that too. But the octave, so St. Stephen is the first feast out of the gate. Isn't that interesting? So we yeah. celebrated the Lord's birth on the 25th, and, and then we, we are celebrating the first adult martyr of the faith.
0: Hmm.
1: Now, what's the connection you think? What's the connection? Is that odd?:
0: Yeah, that right out Oops. of the gate.
1: Uh-huh. And, and again, the way I kind of see it, um, th- there's no right or wrong answer here. But if you recall that St. Stephen was one of the first seven deacons of the church. And those seven deacons were chosen because the Hellenist widows, that is the Greek-speaking widows, were not being treated as uh, equally to the Jewish widows of the early Christian community. And the apostles wanted to devote themselves to study and prayer. And so they chose seven men of repute, Stephen being one of them, to literally serve the community, to literally wait tables, if I could put it that way, to be able to serve the needs of of these widows and orphans. Okay, so Stephen is put to death because he was challenged by members of the Sanhedrin and the scribes who falsely, falsely accused him of blasphemy. He did not blaspheme. But they right. set him up. All right. Now, go back to the question. With all that said, what is the connection? In the Middle Ages, there was a beautiful spiritual connection made around wood, between the wood of the crib and the wood of the cross. Both both could be seen as the thrones of the king of all things. That in the crib, he sat in this wooden, basically basin, in the midst of poverty, in the midst of quiet, and that was the throne of the newborn king. And, fast forward to the moment of his death, He is enthroned on the wood of the cross, nailed to it because he was born into the world to offer his life. So if you look at it that way, to bring St. Stephen as the first day of Christmas is to remember why this child was born into the world. Why did he come? He came to take his throne as a child, as an infant, and as as a 33-year-old man. He came to take his rightful throne, which was to offer his life so that we might have life. It's the perfect answer. Why did we have Christmas in the first place? St. Stephen reminds us why. Isn't that beautiful?
0: Yeah, that is beautiful. And and the way he died, I mean, stoning versus crucifixion, but the way he received it was very, mm-hmm. also very similar to how Christ eventually received his as well. Absolutely.
1: And... And of course, Stephen was was martyred after, of course, the death and resurrection of the Lord Jesus. So he gives testimony to Jesus, the Son of Man being at the right hand of the Father. Right. And that's ultimately what got the crowd into the frenzy that killed him. Remember, Paul, at that point, Saul, saw, concurred with the death. Yeah, he was there. He was there. Yeah. And then he was gonna be knocked off his horse, as we talked about before, because he too, was to find his place now in the drama of salvation. So Stephen's always been very dear to my heart. He is, um, he is in many ways the patron saint of the diaconate. For any deacon who is ordained, is ordained to give his life in service unto death, right? Which is what Stephen did.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. that connection between the, the, the cradle and the cross there's a beautiful painting by a guy named, I think it's, his name is Lorenzo Lotto, who mm-hmm. is a nativity scene. And then on the wall there, there's a crucifix. Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. Uh, and so there's that connection. But speaking oh, yeah, of... Just, uh,
1: mm-hmm. Yeah. I just want to... I, I mentioned before, St. Mary Major, you can actually see the wood of the crypt. So yes. if you go to Rome, you have to go to St. Mary Major. Anyway, I I didn't mean to cut you off.
0: No, no, not at all. I was just going to say, since we're we're talking about martyrs, we also had, and you alluded to this already uh, this past weekend, was the Feast of the Holy Innocents. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Because you said Stephen was the first adult martyr. Correct,
1: because they are the first infant martyrs, right? I mean, they literally were massacred by Herod, who was supposedly called the Great, which was basically Herod the Failure, but that's all (laughs) Ned's story of history to figure (laughs) out. Okay. Okay. in response to what he perceived as the betrayal of the Magi, because they did not come back to offer him the knowledge he wanted, so that he could that he could destroy this child, so he decided to to kill all firstborn male up to I think two years old. So in scooping it all up, the hope was he would also kill the Christ child. Crazy, yeah. absolutely crazy. But you see, but there's there's an interesting piece to this story, okay? Again, illustrating who was born in Bethlehem. Because not only did these infants, were they the proto-martyrs, but they were the martyrs of faith, even though they themselves did not come to Christian faith, but their lives were given up in service to the newborn king. But you have to remember that the story appears in the Gospel of St. Matthew, Now, each of the Gospel writers has a particular theme, a prism through which all of this revealed truth is is put together for the sake of those who are going to be reading it, right, to convey the essential truths of salvation. And Matthew saw Jesus as the new Moses, as the fulfillment of the Old Testament, right, Now, understanding that, you could see the parallel between Pharaoh, at the time of Moses, slaughtering the children, right? And Moses escaped, and it's repeated in history in the life of the Lord Jesus, when the innocents are slaughtered, right? Herod almost being kind of like the new Pharaoh, and Jesus escapes, one brought liberation to God's people, in Exodus, the other one brought liberation to all people in his death and resurrection. Fascinating, no?
0: Yes, yeah, beautiful.
1: Right? So, But now, one other thing too that just for everyone, how many innocents were actually killed? It's an interesting question. Because in history, there's lots of debate. But the one thing I think we need to remember is Bethlehem was no great metropolis, right? So while in iconography and in tradition, some hold there was thousands, 10,000, hundreds thousands, hundreds of thousands of children. The truth of the matter is, in a city of Bethlehem, which could have had, I don't know, three, 4,000 inhabitants, how many children up to the age of two would there have been? It's anyone's guess. But the number is not important, it's the fact. And that they gave up their life for this king that they ultimately came to see and know, right, when they stood before him. But for us, who was born in Bethlehem? The new liberator, right, the new conqueror, the new Moses, who would free God's people, not walking through the Red Sea, but walking through fire and death. To set us free. It's beautiful. Yeah. It? It's beautiful.
0: Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's, you know, uh, I wonder, nowadays I hear a lot of people uh, relate the whole, holy innocence to um, the unborn of today, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Which, which means we have a lot of Herods now. <laughs> well, I, I, just in this country, you could correct me, Steve, if
1: I'm wrong, but there's been at least 60 million abortions in the United States since Roe versus Wade. 60 million. Staggering. I mean, staggering. It is beyond obscene. It's beyond obscene. And we have said this before, it's worth repeating. If you look at society, our society, and ask yourself the question, how did we get to this point? How did we get to the point where there is so much unrest and division and acrimony. How, how do we get to the point where there's so much poverty and lack of concern for the basic human needs of people? How do we get to the point where the sick are just left unattended and the dying are seen as a financial burden and better to get rid of them with euthanasia? And, of, and all of that, in my humble opinion, rests in large part with a society that does not value life in the womb. If you don't value respect and protect life, when it's in the womb of the mother, what makes you think you're gonna respect it at any other time in its life? Yeah. yeah. So if you don't like what you see, and please God you don't, because I can't imagine anybody liking the, just the, the chaos we're living under, which is getting all the far, far worse at times, then you gotta say to yourself, can't we go to the root and figure it out? And maybe the holy innocence is the day when all Christians All Christians need to sit and think through, right, what direction are we going as a society and what can we do about it to try to stop it before it is too late?
0: Yeah. Right? Yeah, that's right. Mm -hmm. That's right. Oh, it's getting heavy.
1: (laughs) Yeah, my gosh, it's Christmas time. (laughs) Let's... But wait, 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 but before I have to give it, I have to give another little speech, one little speech. Yes. We have made Christmas into um, uh, a a a, a festival of conviviality and festivity and and exchange of gifts and, and all of that is wonderful, right? It is all wonderful and we need it but the deeper current in christmas is one of christian joy right so if you recognize that then it's not inappropriate to speak of the martyrdom of saint stephen or the massacre of the holy innocents it seems disconnected but it's not yes right because the deeper mean, the deeper foundational meaning of christmas is that the king has come to set us free and we don't appreciate who was born, until we understand the price to be paid by this infant. Then you understand the full joy of Christmas.
0: Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Let's, uh, before, we, we've got like five or so minutes left. Can we talk about um, St. Basil the Great? Because his feast is on January 2nd, and he was such an awesome saint. And uh, I kind of feel like not enough people know enough about him these days, at least here in the Western church.
1: Correct, I think you're absolutely correct. Because he's a, he's an Eastern father, he's one of the Cappadocian fathers. His brother was Gregory of Nyssa, a saint himself, and then his dear friend was Gregory Nancy Anson. So the three of them are the three Cappadocian fathers. And w- what is he famous for? For two things. Now again, see we, in the modern world, we take all this stuff for granted. But we, forget that in the early church, there was legitimate controversy, sometimes acrimonious controversy, about both the true nature of who Jesus is and the true reality of who the Holy Spirit is. And it was Basil of Caesarea, who was the father who proposed clearly and without equivocation, the divinity of the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit's consubstantiality with the Father and the Son. So in other words, the the fact that we believe that God is a trinity of persons, Father giving himself completely, forever, eternally in love to to his Son, and the Son returning that love perfectly, completely, eternally to the Father, and that love is a divine person in the Holy Spirit? It was Basil, who created uh, the consensus, who brought the theological consensus right forward to say that that love is a person. Now, why is that significant? Because if the Holy Spirit were not God, you do realize you and I and everyone listening to this podcast would be doomed. Can I put it any more bluntly? We'd be doomed. Because when you look at the, at, at the life, ministry, death, and resurrection of the child born in Bethlehem, his ascension, his glorification, taking a seat at the right hand of the Father, how did all of those graces have anything to do with me if it were not the Holy Spirit who were the conduit, the link, the indwelling that allowed that, those graces? to be given to me. If there were no Holy Spirit, all of that would be wonderful for Jesus, but I'm not sure it would have any effect on me, it's the Holy Spirit and his indwelling that allows me to to partake in that gift. So Basil is a towering figure in the life of the church, towering figure in the life of the church. And to your point, most people have never heard of him. He's also a huge figure in two other regards. I mean, monastic life. He he was instrumental in forming monastic life in the East that was communal, not uh, uh, based in a life that was more of a hermit. He helped form religious life where people lived in common, with a common rule and a common prayer. And it is clear that St. Benedict in the West was greatly influenced by St. Basil in the East. And Benedict is the father of Western monasticism. One could say Basil is the father of Eastern monasticism and he came first. And the other thing that's fascinating about him, I keep going on and on. The other (laughs) thing that's fascinating about Basil is, two things, two more things, if I may. First, is his profound friendship with Gregory of Nancy Anson. And the love he had for Gregory as a, as a brother, he loved him as if he was his biological brother. And the beauty of friendship among clerics is a lesson that has to be remembered in the 21st century. Because those of us who are celibate need to have true life-giving friendships if our celibacy does not become bachelorhood. Mm -hmm. And while we can have that friendship with anyone, married, lay people, um, relatives, but it's with other celibates where you you can share the deepest mystery of the holy orders you share, where another piece to the puzzle of a healthy life can be found and and Basil and Gregory teach us that. The other thing Basil teaches us is you've got to put your money where your mouth is. So he came from a wealthy family, and he gave all of his wealth away to the poor. And through his entire life, saw the poor and the underprivileged as an essential part of his ministry.
0: Yeah. You know, it's amazing. Basil and, and Gregory, I believe they were classmates with the eventual Julian the apostate the emperor yes yes
1: yes that's absolutely the case right right imagine what what that class must still look like (laughs)
0: how about that reunion (laughs) oh my gosh Uh, excellency let's take a break here and then uh, we'll talk about the new new years uh, when we come back catholic radio works and now we have it here in connecticut and new york It's been seen around the country that there's no better tool for evangelization. Where there's Catholic radio, the folks who listen deepen their faith. Families are strengthened, parishes and communities flourish. So, let people know you're listening to Veritas, tell your friends to tune in, and let's make an impact here for Jesus and his church. This is Steve Lee for Veritas Catholic Network. All right, welcome back to Let Me Be Frank featuring Bishop Frank Caggiano. Excellency, during the break we were talking about, uh, you had mentioned um, the need for um, this real authentic brotherhood among priests, and I remember several months ago you talked about an idea of having priests here in our diocese live in community together.
1: Yes, yes, and we have explored different options, but the one that's gotten the greatest traction is a proposal I brought forth before the deans of the diocese and the presbyterate. It's called the St. Robert Bellarmine Residence. And it imagines that a portion of the queen of clergy residence for retired priests be set aside for priests in active ministry who could live among themselves and also be present to the retired priest, who would serve different parishes. But then they would have meals, they'd have cleaning services that we provide for the retired priests. They would live with others around them and not live in isolation. So we've laid that proposal out and hopefully in the new year, we can start getting priests to become part of it. Because I think in the end, at Queen of Clergy, as you know, every priest has his own apartment. So you have a sitting room, bedroom, kitchenette, And bathrooms, so you do have privacy, but there's also communal meals, and there's also a communal life, and I think that's the best of both worlds.
0: Yeah. Mm Mhm. Yeah, that's great. I think it's such Mm -hmm. a great idea. Mm Mhm. Um, and then uh, so uh, tomorrow is Mm -hmm. New Year's Eve. Mm Mhm. And so you know, I was just thinking about it, and um, growing up in Brooklyn for you. You grew up so close to Times Square, where all of the chaos happens. Did you ever do that Times Square thing for New Year's Yes, year? once. <laughs> okay. Yes, yes, I did.
1: Um, well, first, let, before I tell you that story, see, I'm a big, uh, I'm a little odd, as you know, right? So, <laughs> I'm a big believer that the first Sunday of Advent is really New Year's for us. It's the beginning of the new liturgical year. Right. So. I tried to get people in my parish when I was pastor to wish each other Happy New Year's on that day. It didn't catch on, unfortunately. <laughs> but I'm still a big believer that, not ignoring the secular New Year, absolutely. Yeah. But our year is rooted in Jesus Christ and Advent begins the church's liturgical prayer. It's unfolding of the mystery of the life, death, resurrection, ascension, and the indwelling of the Holy Spirit in us, right? So, anyway. Yeah. Okay, but having said that, um, I have a dear friends who for many years, or priests, two priests, who for many years wanted um, to come to Times Square, and I'm thinking to myself, why on earth would you want to do that? But because they're not native to New York, the one occasion, arose when I was studying in Rome because I didn't have a parochial assignment. As you know, I came home for the holidays. So one New Year's, I finally said, okay, if you want to do this, let's do it. And we can rent a room at the Marriott Marquis, which is on 44th, I believe, Street. And we could have dinner, and then we'll go and see this famous display. Okay, the room was astronomically expensive. <laughs> I can imagine. This was 25 years or more. I think it was $660 for the night. Wow. Unbelievable. I said to the two of them, really, this is like, this is never again. We're doing this once <laughs> and never again. Okay. And I have to tell you, this shows you my cynical side, but I thought we were standing there, it was cold. I, I I said, well, what in the name of goodness am I doing here? Really? And I think at the end we went back to the hotel and we all kind of said, okay, we did it once. And we're never going to do this again, because it was it was almost all tourists. I I, I didn't see that many New Yorkers because New Yorkers know. <laughs> <laughs> and now, I mean, in COVID, you could, I, I have no idea. I, I presume there's not going to be any festivities. You can't.
0: Yeah, I don't. I haven't even um, looked into, I, don't, I have no idea. I
1: haven't either. Oh, no, I would
0: never do it again.
1: I, I, I see it's from the
0: excitement,
1: but I guess there's a certain, you get to a certain age where you say to yourself, no, a nice book, dinner with friends, a nice book. And may I make a confession in the podcast? For the last, oh my gosh, let's see, at least 20 years, I have not stayed up till midnight. Yeah. I see no desire at all to do that. Yeah. And I don't want to be a party pooper, but I mean, I just, I don't get it.
0: Yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah. I, I did the Times Square thing once, senior year of college, and said I would never do it again. And uh, just like you, Excellency, for probably the past 15 years or so, Rula and I have gone to bed well before Midnight. Mm-hmm. But now my kids are of are the age where they want to stay up. So, uh, you know, we'll probably end up staying up. Or I, I will oh, yeah. anyway. <laughs> oh,
1: yeah. Yeah. You know what is Because this is the problem. I, is there a value? Of course there is. I mean, and it could be actually a very beautiful religious moment. I remember there, um, when I was younger and a priest, there were many parishes in Brooklyn. And there are some parishes in our diocese that offer mass at 11 or midnight which is a beautiful way to welcome the new year. Now that makes sense to me. Right? Yeah. To go to mass, yeah, that makes sense to me, right? Yeah. Right? Um, but but the truth is I am not a night person. I'm a morning person. So if you want to do a sunrise service on New Year's Day, I'm in. <laughs> I may be the only one there, but I <laughs> you might catch some stragglers <laughs> <laughs> right? who are coming home. Exactly. Right, who may need confession more than anything else besides <laughs> going to mass, but yeah, but I, I just it's yeah, just to stay up for the sake of watching. No, my father did though, religiously. My father, my father did stay up, huh? Yeah, a doubt. Yep. You would add Yep.
0: yeah. You mentioned mass, you know, the one of the most memorable New Year's uh eves that I have when I was a kid, my parents would throw parties in our house, but that wasn't for me. Um, but when I was about 23 or 24 years old, I went on a mission. Uh, in Opalaca, Florida, which is a really tough neighborhood. Okay. And there were 25 young men there, including me, on a mission at a church called Our Lady of Perpetual Help. And the pastor there who was hosting us celebrated mass for us at 11 o'clock at night on New Year's Eve. And then we had a mini feast afterwards in the church hall. And it was was the first time I had ever even thought of doing that. And it Mm -hmm. was so awesome. And... Actually, another thing that made it memorable was that while we were in the church, when the clock struck midnight, there were a ton of gunshots in the street. And we were all like... Gunshots? What? Yeah. And the pastor was like, it's fine. That's just how they're celebrating in this neighborhood. Just stay in the church until it's done, and then we'll go across the street to the hall.
1: Oh, my. <laughs> I guess to each each person, their own, I guess, their own desires or whatever. I, I, yeah. I, wow.
0: <laughs> yeah. You know, so... So this t- tomorrow night will be a quiet night for you, Excellency. Um, oh, oh, without a doubt,
1: <laughs> without a doubt.
0: I, you know, and as we're looking uh, at 2021, and you have lots of people, including me, saying I can't wait till 2020 is over. Oh yeah. But, um, it's weird because like simply flipping the calendar doesn't actually change anything, right, Excellency? Or or does it? Well, that's an interesting question. So what makes January 1st
1: um, so special from a secular point of view? In part, it is even among those who do not have religious faith. It is the deeply felt conviction that you can start again. Interesting. That in this case, from from a perspective of faith, um, January 1st is no different than December 11th. Mm-hmm. We can always start again with the grace of the Lord through forgiveness of our sins and start over again. But the intuition is not obliterated even in a secular society. So turning the calendar and beginning a new year is a sense of renewal. It's a sense of new beginning. It's a sense of hope, even for people who do not have religious faith. That says something about who we are as human beings. There is deeply innate in us a a desire to be able to start all over again. So I think we need to respect that impulse.
0: Yeah.
1: Right? And as Christians, use it as a moment of spiritual renewal and say, okay, so we're starting a new year and I look back on the old year and I can see the moments of triumph and I can see the moments of great uh, uh, failure. And sin? So what what do I want this new year to be? It's in my hands. What do I want this to be? And that leads to the whole question of resolutions, right? Mm-hmm. And, and yes. what you choose to do. So there is tremendous value to the day, even from a religious point of view, apart from the solemnity of Mary, the mother of God, which we can talk about, it, just from to, to begin anew. And, you know, I, I wondered to myself, um, should we not do more in offering the sacrament of reconciliation the days after New Year's. Yeah. So if people do recognize that they want to spiritually begin all over again, that they have the opportunity to have their sins forgiven, (coughs) it's something we should think about some more because I think there could be some value to it, right? New Year's Eve itself, people are going to parties. They may not be the best, although some will come, but maybe right after, right, Right. to be able to do that. Mm
0: -hmm. Yeah, so I like what you're saying. It, the, the actual date doesn't do anything, but the idea of a clean slate, clean break, mm-hmm. fresh start, that always does something.
1: Yeah, and, and for the secularists and those who do not have religious faith, the onus is all on them. Mm-hmm. So their mm-hmm. resolutions are all the things they want or need to do. From Christian faith, the onus falls on my cooperating with the Lord's grace. So the Lord is in the mix as well. And that should be very consoling.
0: Yeah. R- Robert Royal wrote um, a piece on November 30th saying Happy New Year and here's my New Year's resolutions, which is, goes to your point of you know, the start of brilliant Advent. Brilliant man, brilliant, yeah. brilliant. Yeah, he's, and that was one of the things he said was that uh, you know, one of our res- resolutions this year should be to understand that we can't do it on our own. Right. Um, which is exactly what you're saying, Excellency. Right.
1: Well, let me ask you this, though, then. Before we talk about resolutions moving forward, what are the lessons we learned from 2020? Based on the lessons we have learned, you will have your resolutions moving forward. And that's a very personal question, because everyone has gone through the crucible of 2020 in a different way, but that everyone suffered in some way is beyond dispute. hmm Everyone, all of us. It was just a year to either be remembered or to be forgotten, depending on what the perspective you have. So how did you suffer? How did you suffer? And what did that teach you? And if you suffered well, what resolution comes from that? And if you didn't, what resolution comes from that? How has your situation changed economically? There are people who are listening to this podcast who are far richer now because of the pandemic. Do you realize the billionaires in this country have increased their net value, their net worth, by $400 billion since the pandemic began, yet 7.8 million people have fallen into poverty, and that's just the tip of the iceberg. So you see the resolution that can come out of that. How about spiritually? Where have you and I landed spiritually? Um, in our relationship with God. Did we ignore him? Did, were we angry with him? Did we find him consoling? Do we sense his presence? Do we sense his absence? All of that needs to be reflected on so that the resolutions we make fit in what we need to continue to progress before the Lord. I mean, everybody, no, I shouldn't say everybody. The perennial resolution for me has always been lose weight. I'm going on a diet, okay? I overate, right? Okay, I can even tell you this now. I look <laughs> at myself and say, not again. Honestly, not again. You did it again, <laughs> right? But that's, but I mean, but is that, I mean, there's value to it, certainly for your health. But I mean, it's like every year we're doing the same thing. But that's not really the resolutions that can really change your life. It's a lot of it's. It's hard work, yeah. to come up with the resolutions that really can transform your life. So I think we still have a few days, don't we, between now and New Year's, to give it some thought. Right? Are,
0: are are you uh, are you willing to give your resolution on the air, Excellency, or would you like to uh, keep oh, it wait. private? Yeah, I'm going on a diet. Okay, <laughs> sure. There you go. <laughs> well, that's well, that's that's a count. That doesn't count.
1: I, um, no, you know, I am still very much debating it. Yeah. And, and New Year's Eve, to the extent that it is possible, apart from perhaps celebrating mass, is a day when I clean. Hmm. It's a day when I clean, I clean everything I can get my hands on, clean my room, clean my files, clean my, uh, um, uh, um, my bookshelves. When I clean... I think. Isn't that funny? Everybody has, you know, know, some people take a walk. Yeah. Some people find, and of course a a place in church in silence is profoundly reflective for me. But if you want a sustained reflection through the whole day, give me six rooms to clean, two floors to wash, couple of carpets to vacuum, a couple of files to clean out, clean out my briefcase, back up all my files, It's extremely reflective for me because it's the manual labor. Yeah. And so New Year's Eve is when I usually put them together. I I put my resolutions together. So next week, ask me. I'll tell you.
0: Okay. There's a lot of thinking and reflecting that could happen in our house. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, That's funny. Okay. Um, You know, uh, so 2021... for this show let me be frank by the way is also going to bring some changes so we're going to yes, con- tell mm-hmm. us we're going to continue doing what you and i do but mm-hmm. once a month we'll bring in an outside guest um who uh can actually hold his own against you or alongside you uh, rather and um and then you will have a conversation with that person uh once a month so that's ex- i think that's exciting
1: Oh, well, a lot of people can can leave me in the dust. That's not the point. <laughs> but the point is, I think that's a tremendous, tremendous idea. Other ideas, other points of view, other perspectives. And let's, yeah, and let's start the conversation going. Yeah, I, that's a tremendous idea. And also, may I suggest a change too? Yes. I, I think it would be true. If we could get, if we could do like a question drive, wouldn't it be great if we could have people live, yeah, ask their questions and have a an answers.
0: That's a great idea. So yeah, so if you're listening, be ready because mm-hmm. we will come out and solicit you for these questions. That'd yeah. be great. A, a one one show, all of question and answer. We could do that right. uh, every mm-hmm. now and then. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. fantastic. Mm-hmm. And and so now you did mention earlier that um, January 1st is the Solemnity of Mary, the Mother of God. Mm -hmm. We we talk about Mary a lot on this show. Uh, Without a doubt. She deserves it. But tell us about this feast. (laughs) Without a
1: doubt. (laughs) The title, the title, it's fascinating. It was controversial in the early church. And we've taken it for granted. Every time we say the Hail Mary... Right? We call her the mother of God. Now, let's think for a second. How can God have a mother? She is the Theotokos, the mother of God. And that is why the solemnity is where it is, the octave day of Christmas. Because again, it's there, as we've said many times, Mary. Mary is there so that Mary can illuminate the meaning of her son. So she is the mother of God. Who is Jesus? He is God-made man. Now, in the early church, there was tremendous controversy of whether or not she should be Christotokos or Theotokos, the mother of Christ and the mother of God, the mother of the Son or the mother of God himself. But the truth is, if Jesus is God, she is the mother of God in his human life. So in a world that reduces everything to the obvious or to the apparent or what's in front of you, this is a reminder, as we come to the end of the octave, that he who sits in the crib is God. The maker and creator of all things, the sustainer of all things. The one to whom we owe our all allegiance. The one to whom our next breath is dependent. I mean, is (laughs) remarkable. It's remarkable. And she carries the the, the honor of the mother of God, not for her own sake, but to give glory to her son. That's why it makes perfect sense. And remember, we were talking about St. Basil. In one of the early um, calendars, Basil, the feast was on the first, and it moved to the second when the church in the renewal of the calendar put... The mother of God as the octave, not the circumcision of the Lord, which would have been on the eighth day, right? So, mm-hmm. fascinating.
0: Yep. Yeah. He, he probably uh, was fine with moving over one day for her. <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, I would hope so. <laughs> one would hope so. <laughs> All right. Uh, let's take one more break, and then, uh, Bishop Frank, you can answer a listener question when we come back. Yes. Why do we need
1: Catholic Radio? Because not everybody's sitting in front of a computer or watching their television set at home. How about when driving to work? How about while at work at your desk? Catholic Radio is there for you. I may be a Catholic priest, but I'm still a student of the faith. And Catholic Radio helps supply good material, whether it be a question and answer format show, whether it be a show itself on doctrine or theology, I myself, as a priest, am always learning.
0: Okay, welcome back to Let Me Be Frank with Bishop Frank Caggiano. All right, Excellency, we have a, uh, an anonymous question that came in this week. Um, mm-hmm. Here it is. It says, Bishop Frank, I feel like it's just a matter of time before the mm-hmm. transgender agenda pushes itself on our Catholic schools and institutions. What mm-hmm. can we do to prevent this or to fight it when it happens?
1: Okay, so that is it's a very interesting question. And I think perhaps we need to take a step back and rephrase the question. Um, The whole question of transgenderism and how it is being manifest in the life of certain people first makes us, as Christians, we need to realize that these are individuals who are struggling mightily of something they perceive to be quite fundamental to their life. And therefore, apart from the moral considerations which we can never escape, nor must we ever betray, never, but these are real people that demand our accompaniment and our understanding right and in our love right the real question is if they are struggling with this question then how do we accompany them following our moral teachings to a resolution that helps them to resolve it in such a way because to deny that they are struggling is i think would be both unfair and unhelpful so when, you, when the question is about an agenda, that's the secular society's agenda that, that sees transgenderism in anything other than just a personal choice. So you can choose to be whatever you want. And we, as Christians, do not believe that because of the grammar of the human person and the teachings of the church. So to the extent that our listener, our, our writer is concerned that the church can fall prey to what society is doing, then the point is we can never allow that to happen. We can never allow that to happen. For no other reason, is not only does it betray our faith and betray the Lord, but I think it's not serving the people who are struggling with this question in the end. We wanna bring them to the truth. We wanna bring them to true healing. We wanna bring them to peace of mind and heart. And following society's uh, uh, agenda, that you do whatever you want, whenever you want it, is not the answer, okay? So, so it, it's a complicated question that we do what the society says, we can never do that. That we will follow what the society wants us to follow, we will never do that, we can't. That we will ascribe to what society thinks is the solution, we cannot do that either, because we love those who are struggling with this question, All right? But we need to accompany them, respect them and love them first, and then help them, person one person at a time, to come to understand the beauty and deepness of what the church teaches about gender. Mm-hmm. That is very much rooted in our corporeality, is very much rooted in our identity, and we can help people to try in their struggles to come to understand that truth.
0: Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's, it, it's a teaching born out of love.
1: Right, exactly. F- for the love we have for everyone yeah. who may be struggling.
0: Right. Okay. So uh, if, if you're listening and you have a question for Bishop Frank, send it in to us on social media or you can email questions at VeritasCatholic.com. Bishop Frank Caggiano is on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. So is Veritas Catholic Network. Um, you know, Excellency, I just uh, last year, um, George Weigel wrote a list of his suggested uh, resolutions for Catholics uh, for mm-hmm. 2020. And mm-hmm. I think two of them are as relevant as ever. So I just, I'll just i just mention them really quickly. The Please. first, w- one of them was be a missionary disciple at the retail level, one-on-one. I think that is so crucial. And you've mm-hmm. been sa- talking about that all mm-hmm. year. Uh, the, se- the second one that I want to point out is he said that we should thank the good priests and bishops that you know. So mm-hmm. I want to ask for your blessing, but first, I want to thank you, Bishop Frank, for your faithful leadership your teaching your fatherly guidance to me and to our diocese thank you very much excellency
1: steve I, I appreciate those kind words i thank you and i thank you for for the friendship we have formed in the forum where i could just talk i just great <laughs> but I, I i i thank you for that and we have a lot of work to do so yeah. 2021 please god will take us another step forward yes so why don't yes. we ask the, the holy spirit to help us then. Huh? In the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, Amen. Heavenly Father, as we come to the beginning of a new year, we ask that your Spirit, your divine love, fill our minds and hearts to continue to meet the challenges that remain from this year. Meet whatever comes before us in the coming year, always confident of your mercy, always hopeful and joyful in the message of the Gospel. Bless us, bless those whom we love, and bless all your people. May the new year be one of many graces. And we ask this as we ask all things in the name of the Father, of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. My friend, Happy New Year to you. See you next year.
0: Happy New Year. See you next year, Excellency. Thank you. Thank okay. you.